0: Hello and welcome to or welcome back to a runner's life podcast. I'm the host Marcus Brown. I've gone from a 4.55 marathon down to running a sub three hour marathon. The idea of this podcast is to explore what a runner's life is by speaking to runners and experts to learn from their experiences and to expand on our own boundaries of what a runner's life could represent. If you want to get updates on the podcast or want to see what I'm up to, Follow me on Instagram at A Runner's Life underscore podcast and at The Marathon Marcus, all one word. If you find value in the show, please subscribe and share it with your community and leave a rating on your podcast platform that you use, as it helps the podcast grow. If you want to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash A Runner's Life. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's head to the conversation. Before we start, I've got an announcement. This is important, so do not fast forward this segment because there is something in it for you. Sharing what is behind a runner's life is paramount to me. This podcast began without brand support or any external help. So any brand supporting the show would have to demonstrate that they actively support the development of a runner's life in the community. I'm really excited to partner with the sponsors of this podcast, Tracksmith. I want to thank the team for all that they do to celebrate and support the sport that we all love so much. From the quality clothes that they make, to the opportunities they've created from supporting various projects in the Tracksmith Fellowship, through to the content they produce. Check out Tracksmith's journal, which is a collection of stories, films, photos that highlight and celebrate running culture. So I said there was something in it for you. To so win a voucher worth £200 or the equivalent $250, screenshot this podcast conversation and tag A Runner's Life Podcast in your Instagram stories. Hi Chris, welcome to A Runner's Life Podcast. How are you?
1: I'm great. Thanks for having me.
0: It's really good to talk to you and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Me too. Sometimes what I do with my podcast guests is I introduce the guests or I tell them something about them that inspired me, but this time I want to try something a little bit different. Would you be up for introducing yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. My name is Chris Mosier. I use he, him pronouns, and I'm a six-time member of Team USA in duathlon and triathlon. I was the first trans man to represent the country in international competition, in the gender with which they identify. And last year went to the Olympic trials in racewalking. So all these fun things. And I am a fierce advocate and activist for LGBTQ plus inclusion in sports and specifically for transgender people in sports.
0: Awesome. This podcast is called a Runner's Life podcast. And whilst I appreciate that you compete across various disciplines from you know racewalking to duathlon to triathlon, what does a Runner's Life mean to you?
1: it's uh every day right like you know i think part of it is that running is sort of the default running is what i did when i got out of college and i didn't have a sports team and i didn't know where to channel my athletic you know desires i went i went back to running running is something that i can take with me it's where i you know i can travel the world and see places in a different way um it's just it's it's always it's like the default for me um and, and I think that that is how it is actually more of a part of the way of life than than a sport that I do. I mean, I still do marathons and, and running competitions too, but uh, within duathlon, I'm running, then cycling, then running again. In race walking, there was a lot of running in that training buildup because race walking is really awkward. And actually, I think running is easier than race walking. And running is also just like my therapy. It's my, you know, how I do my thinking, you know it's it's my preferred sport and so it's it's just a part of who I am and what I do
0: listening to that it just reminds me that with running it's you know it's enjoyable it's fun it connects you with the wider world and to yourself and it's just your time just to be with yourself if that makes sense
1: yeah definitely I, I definitely feel that and I and I feel I definitely use running as a solo way of moving meditation and thinking and processing and just relaxing in some ways of like if i want to blow off steam or i have energy and and want to feel active you know that's that's going to be the default Uh, but i also think that one of the cool things about running is just the global community of people that you can find and be connected to you know even if you and i never go for a run together in real life you know i i feel this connection and this kinship to you because we are both runners and and people who run know it is a very it's a it's a special group of people right and and so it doesn't matter if you are the fastest person if you are a recreational runner if you are a weekend warrior uh you know to me that doesn't matter like if you move your body through space in running uh regardless of your pace regardless of your goals you know i, I feel I feel connected to those people and those are my people (laughs) so i love the community aspect of it too
0: yeah i totally understand that because yeah you can have runners in you know different parts of the world different social circles but when you start talking about all things running and movement there's so much that unifies us and people can relate to and i feel Mm -hmm. that as well absolutely so With race walking, I understand that basically one foot has to be on the ground, well, to the human eye at all times. So I imagine, like you said, that involves, you know, considered thinking, whereas running is something that you could probably do, you know, let your mind uh, wander, you know, within reason. So mentally, how do you sort of transition between running in a duathlon or in a marathon or whatever, compared to competing at a race walking event?
1: Oh my gosh. I had so many times in my training where I almost just broke into a run because I know I can go so much faster running. <laughs> so, you know, it, it was it running to me, uh, is, you know, like it's, it's not mindless, but it's become so second nature that I'm, while I do form check-ins and, and if I'm certainly doing hard efforts, I'm paying very close attention to my body and my output and how I'm feeling, but, you know, I'm on a casual run or a long run or, uh, you know, an easy recovery run. I'm just out there, you know, moving in, in a way that I don't have to put the thought into where race walking is very much like swimming is for me, where there are so many technical components of the way that your body has to be moving through space in order to be the most effective and the most efficient. And that, that those patterns are not ingrained in my body, <laughs> nor actually do I think that they are actually patterns that are natural to any human. <laughs> so. For me, it took a lot more attention. Like it, it was physically exhausting because it's such a foreign movement to me. Like you said, one leg has to be straight at all times. One foot has to be appearing on the ground at all times, and and so it, there are a lot of technical aspects to it that made it really difficult to to learn and to become more proficient at. But I really enjoyed that process too of of being a beginner, of learning a new skill. And then seeing how that translated to my running and my cycling and my other sort of athletic endeavors.
0: Yeah. And just sort of going back to the race walking, I remember watching the 2012 Olympics, I believe. And I remember Tom Bosworth was there competing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I don't say i disrespectful to the but I've never seen so many disqualifications in an event. It's so crazy when you, sort of, mm-hmm. when you look at race walking, it's so difficult to do. And it's like so subjective to a certain point. Whereas like in running or something else, to get disqualified for the, the form, it's just something, you know what I mean? It's so alien, like you said, It's it takes them getting used to, even as a spectator, to watch it.
1: Yeah, which I think is what makes it so fun, right? Because no one outside in your local park actually walks like that. And so to see people who are dropping mile times that are akin to your local runners is is really pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, these guys were walking quicker than probably i could run at that time so yeah, yeah they were going pretty fast so yeah you've got to hand it off to these guys and, and what you're doing as well so anyhow i mean that could go down we could go in like a whole <laughs> in terms of just like the you know people getting disqualified and, and whatnot but i want to go back to a point you made before about you no know, learning a new skill and it's not often that adults do learn a new skill we tend to like to stay in our own lanes i know i'm generalizing here mm-hmm. but can you sort of talk about what it's like to learn a new skill but go to like a high level as well because it's not like you're just doing it just to you know take part you know you're doing it to compete you're doing it to win
1: yeah i mean i think it was really humbling to take that on and to to you know have run for so long to have done duathlons and have had success there in different sports and different multi-sports to do something that i thought that i would probably be pretty bad at It, it took um. You know, I didn't tell people that I was racewalking at first. It, it took all the way up until I think I was on my way to the Olympic trials before I was talking about it because I just had this sort of fear that I would be bad at it or that um, I wasn't quite ready to publicly be bad at something. And I think working through that, you know, working through the fact that we get so caught up in our race times and in our performance and our statistics, and you know, I'm, I'm actually kind of proud of the fact that I'm a runner who couldn't tell you the seconds on you know like the the decimals on my race times right like i'm not i'm not i'm a i am a data nerd and i love to dig into it but i'm not so attached to those outcomes because you know in in some cases i can't control my ranking right i can't control the other people that are showing up to the race i can control my performance but then i also recognize that every day is a different day and my body is responding differently. My training might've been different. The weather is different. The course is different. And so I think one of the beautiful things about this is that we just get the ability to show up on the day and see what our body will give us. And I think that's true with a, whether it's race walking or running or any other sport that every day is different and we can you know, only control what we can control. We can control our thoughts and our process and uh, our preparation but on race day there are so many factors that go in so you know i think the, that learning that process again and putting myself in the shoes of the beginner was actually really great for me in terms of not taking for granted you know when i'm running and and not taking it for granted when i'm training other people so you know i'm a coach as well i coach triathletes and runners and to to just recognize the challenges of being super sore because it's a foreign movement or you know uh having a big build and you've never gone that far before like what the joys are of that and what the disappointments might be if you don't bounce back and all of those moments that when you've been doing something for so long it kind of just is part of the deal and i really had the opportunity to recognize acknowledge and um, celebrate slash you know be upset about but <laughs> process all of the different points in between in race walking
0: you spoke about you know the race itself you touched upon the disappointment. And the first part of that I want to think about is when you look back at the race, Olympic qualifying race last Mm -hmm. year, and obviously you had to stop through injury. Now, when you reflect on the race at the time of the race and your thoughts, how does it differ to how you reflect on that race when you're sitting in your position now in 2021?
1: Well, I pulled out of the race with a torn meniscus. And I had a good sense that I probably wouldn't be able to complete that distance based on, you know, just how my leg was feeling in advance of that race. So I think I kind of had preparation for, you know, not disappointment before the race, but, um, you know, I, I really wanted to give myself the opportunity to take in all of the excitement and the energy and, you know, the the significance of the moment of being at the Olympic trials, uh, you know, particularly for me in being the first transgender athlete to be at the olympic trials in the gender with which they identify was a big deal and it was a history making moment and you know i I wished that it had a different outcome but um unfortunately my leg said otherwise and so you know it was really difficult to make that call to stop racing Uh, i think it was even more challenging to stand there and watch the rest of the race happen um i had a friend who was in the race as well so uh, as much as I wanted to just kind of drive away, you know, I also wanted to see him finish. And you know today, I think I, I feel similarly about it. I think it was it was sad that I didn't have that opportunity to see how good I could be on that day and what what could have potentially happened. At the same time, I was very new to the sport. I had uh, really no um, no thoughts that I would be on the podium in that race. Uh, you know, there are folks who dedicate their entire life to this sport, you know, for me as a newcomer to think that I would smoke them was, you know, not, not, not reasonable, but at the same time, you know, we all want to give our best effort every chance that we can. And then, you know, there's something about bouncing back from adversity that is actually one of the awesome parts about sport because it's so relevant to our daily lives as well. We have these you know, opportunities where we are presented with this challenge, and we have the option to either sit in it and dwell and be upset, uh, or to, to plan how we're going to bounce back from that. And I feel very fortunate that every time that I've been injured or faced a setback or some adversity in the sport, I have always come back stronger afterwards. And, and my career has always gotten better after those moments. So, in you know, sitting here now, I think it was a blessing and you know hopeful that i can convert that sadness and disappointment into just great things for the next time we race assuming that we race again
0: <laughs> i think that's so crucial though like this that concept i think a lot of people can relate to something not going the way that they planned it or they wanted to and then having to have that period of time leading up to the next race or the next event where they have to kind of deal with what's happened in the past but not let it ruin their, their now and their potential future
1: yeah i mean our, we are not our past race performances you know really like your last performance is not your entire life and it's, it's not necessarily an indicator positive or negative of future performance so really just recognizing that the most important thing in, for me coming out of that afterwards is You know, for me to have done my rehab and get my knee back into condition and then go through that process of building again. And that's really where I'm at right now, is, you know, sort of in those uh, lower stages of just setting the foundation for a really, really strong comeback.
0: And I've heard you say in previous interviews that what you've had to go through in terms of the transition to being who you truly are is much harder than actually some other aspects of your life. I mean, how did you sort of draw upon that? experience that you've gained in in terms of dealing with you know the disappointment of that result last year
1: I think I dealt with this very very early on in my in my athletic career and in my transition uh, that in my very first race I did as male I had this revelation this moment in an Ironman race where I had already been out on the course for 10 hours and had this idea of like you know I signed up for this race I paid money to do this race and it was really 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 tough um, it was longer than I'd ever gone you know harder than I'd ever gone and it was it lived up to the hype I mean ironmans are not easy races and in that moment of the last you know say 10k of that run the the end of my day I put it in perspective to say like this is tough but it's voluntary but the things that i experience as a trans person you know just living my life every day outside of sports is not voluntary and i think that that's significantly tougher and i think that's given me the the resolve and the um, the resilience to take on these athletic challenges that i'm i'm purposefully putting myself into these positions of discomfort when i'm racing or when i'm training but i think that's a that's a discomfort that i can control and there's something about that because in so many other Aspects of my life, the discomfort that I was experiencing in the early parts of my transition were not at my own will. And, you know, taking that power back to say, all right, well, if I'm not sure if I'm ever going to be comfortable in this world, maybe I just lean into that discomfort and do it in a way that I can shape to be a positive experience for myself. And that's really what I found through sport.
0: Yeah, I think that's just so powerful. And I'm one of the co-founders of a group called Black Trail Runners. And one of the things that we encourage is to try to get black and brown people to feel that the outdoor space is for them. Because Mm -hmm. sometimes you can look at magazines and you won't see a person of color, for example, skiing or rock climbing or things like that. And it has an impact on the kids that see it. And i've got to be honest sometimes when i'm doing the work you feel positive but then you have these 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 dips and when you're sort of thinking it just feels everything feels insurmountable you know which i mean like and with you being in the position that you're in being the spearhead do you ever get to that sort of feeling of those down moments and how do you kind of get through it i'm probably asking the question for myself really for <laughs> so sorry if it's turned into a therapy session but I, I yeah, yeah. Ask it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well i love that i mean i think that you and I have parallel paths on this. And, you know, I think that that sense of that seeking the sense of belonging is the first thing. And then also that representation piece is so incredibly important. And I'm just like, so grateful for the work that you're doing to try to open up space for other people to know that outdoors is for them, that sport is for them. And I think that, you know, it very closely aligns with what I'm trying to do in saying that I want people to see me so that they see themselves in sports and i didn't see that and i know that it would have been you know to your point it would have been a significant difference in my life if i would have seen trans people in sports or trans people competing in sports at a high level i mean and honestly like it would have been a big deal if i even knew a trans person in real life (laughs) before i came out you know like that i i didn't have a lot of trans people in my life i didn't have that representation and i certainly didn't have that representation in sport and so having other people see me and know that they can do what they love and be their authentic selves at the same time is so incredibly important i think that i have had these moments just because we're at such a critical moment right now in terms of oppression and discrimination against the trans community in sport which i can touch on in a minute i think that you know now more than ever i feel like it's important to keep pushing forward to keep being positive about it because I know it is making a difference. Like I know anecdotally from the young people who contact me to say, I didn't see anybody like me in sport until I found you. And now I'm so grateful to know that you're doing this so that I can keep playing my high school sport or, you know, pursue my college career and play athletics. Like that to me is so significant, but I don't think that, that, that doesn't happen. If I go quiet, that doesn't happen if I go dark. Right. So there's or a real value sometimes at the cost of my own you know sort of well-being at, at times depending on what's going on but i know that the value outweighs the you know the negative pieces of that so much and it, the thing is that you know this is true for you. Since we're doing this therapy session, I'll just tell you that you, you will never know, Mark. You will never you will never know the number of people that you've touched simply by being out there. But for every person who sees you out there and doesn't say you know, and, and it tells you like, "Thank you for being that representation that I needed," that I wish that I had seen earlier, you know, to to allow me permission to be myself. For every person that tells you that, there are dozens who will never say a word to you, but you've impacted either directly or through that ripple effect of of inspiring somebody else and they inspire their circle. So, you know, just knowing that, that that domino effect can happen just by us being ourselves, just by us doing what we love and being out there and being authentic and, and saying like, no, I'm actually gonna take this space. Sport has been such a, a cisgender, white, straight male space, homophobic, transphobic, racist, sexist, misogynistic space. That's not actually what the values of sport are about. And so I'm going to take this space because I belong here and I deserve to be here just like anybody else. And there's a lot of power in, in claiming that and owning that.
0: Yeah, that's so powerful. like you said, I think that ripple effect is something that I will definitely consider moving forward because I think you're right. There's such an impact that you don't always see. And, you know, just because you don't see or don't hear it doesn't mean it's not there. And I think, yeah, that's something I've definitely taken board. And, Going on to what you talked about in terms of the, the continued discrimination, this is something I wanted to talk about. So apologies if this is a little bit left field, but just dip, this <laughs> bail <barely> for <laughs> a second. So I'm thinking way back. Do you remember? Well, there's quite a few things, but when Muhammad Ali was, well, basically when they wanted to draft him into Vietnam and he refused to do it. Mm-hmm. And there's quite a few interviews. And I think there's one particular debate where he said to this guy, he said, you know, you want me to go and fight for you? I'm paraphrasing but you won't even stand up for me right here in America for my rights, for my religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. Now, fast forward to today, for example, we're looking at another aspect of human rights in terms of how trans people are seen in America from restrictions to healthcare, to adoption, to being in the military or bathroom restrictions in some states. I mean, how do you kind of deal with that juxtaposition between being able to represent your country at the highest level, but in other aspects of America that trans people aren't fully seen as who they are?
1: It's a difficult balance to achieve I mean I, I tell you that there are very few times I've been speechless in my life, but getting my team USA uniform was definitely one of them. It was such a powerful profound moment where I felt so proud and at the same time I felt so incredibly disappointed with my country <laughs> and you know to to balance that pride of athletic achievement and uh, being able to represent my country at the highest level of my sport internationally, but not being safe to use the restroom in certain states. And and having 22 states in our country right now targeting young people like me to say, you don't belong in sport. So like right now, there's a huge fight in the United States that lawmakers are trying to ban transgender high school kids and college students from being able to participate on sports teams with the gender with which they identify and some of it is after school sports but some of it is actually in gym class even it's it's it, in some some states actually are elementary school so you know imagine i imagine being a little fourth grader me not being able to play with my friends because people think that i'm different or are you know discriminating against me so there's this balance in that that is pride and disappointment but also to try to put a positive spin on it. I think it's an incredible position to be in to say, you know, exactly that. I can represent my country in the highest level of competition, but I am not welcome here. So let's identify these problems and let's use that as a platform and an entry point to say, you know, like I'm not asking for special treatment, I'm not asking for anything but my basic human rights and the same opportunities as my peers.
0: Yeah, hearing that, it makes me think of this uh, phrase that's been used, you know, you can't be what you can't see. And Mm -hmm. listening to what you've just said there, by using your position and using your voice, it creates something for other people to think, it's okay for me, I belong here, whereas they might not have felt like that. So there is like power in doing that, rather than you saying then doing nothing and just being like, forget this, forget America, I'm gonna do my own thing.
1: Yeah, there's, you know, there's this, it There's a study recently that said that 80% of Americans don't think that they know a trans person in real life. And so when you have that lack of proximity, it, it it creates a real problem because what you then know is shaped largely by the media. And we know in both the United States and in the UK that there are huge, huge organizations that are anti-trans hate organizations that are fueling anti-trans rhetoric in sports specifically as a way to use sport then so if we if we ban trans people in sport then we can ban them from restrooms then we can deny trans kids healthcare. then we can say that you can't change your gender marker on your driver's license which means you can't travel or get employment safely you know and on and on and it's this entry point sport is being used as this entry point to erase trans people from public life and it's well funded it's well orchestrated but that's you know the tweet that's that's the headline that's the news clip that people are seeing is that it's unfair or that trans people are monsters or that you know that there's some other issue with who we are and if you don't know somebody who can combat that you know or or you don't know and love somebody you don't have a friend who's trans you don't have a real life connection to that it can become really easy to get wrapped up in that and to believe those statements and so you know I think that representation is such a powerful thing. And and also like, you know, I'm just one person and I don't represent all trans athletes and I can't represent all trans men. And I can't, you know, like the understanding the diversity of our community is as diverse as the running community is as a whole. You know, that that we have different abilities and backgrounds and socioeconomic statuses and that my experience as a white trans man is incredibly different than any trans person of color specifically trans women of color a black trans woman you know has a short life expectancy in the united states because black trans women are targeted murdered and you know and discriminated against at exponential rates versus other people in our community and the trans community already faces a very high rate of discrimination and all of that plays out in sport as well, in terms of how you know black and brown bodies are targeted, they're policed at a higher level, and, and specifically black and brown women in sports. I mean, going outside of of trans identity altogether, we've seen this for decades, that black and brown women are held to different standards in terms of their presentation and, and how their bodies are policed specifically in sport. So there are so many complex layers to this, but I think it's really important that we continue to fight for that representation and and tell the stories and elevate the voices because you know like you said you can't you can't be it if you can't see it and i mean that's not a tr- that's not necessarily true because like i didn't see myself and i just said you know just because it hasn't been done doesn't mean it doesn't been hasn't been done yet doesn't mean it can't be done altogether right so like there are there are those people who will push forward no matter what but but largely you know we all want to see a representation of ourselves in the places that we want to go
0: yeah and just going back to that point about you can't be what you can't see I mean how did you I know it's going to sound like a really stupid question or a really simple question but how did you see a future that there wasn't a path laid before you sometimes I ask my guests is there a part of sport legacy that you want to emulate or aspire to be but for you you're kind of setting that
1: path it was just that I just I just refused to give up what I loved and you know sport has been such an important critical part of my life that from the age of four i would tell you that i was an athlete and you know probably shortly after that tell you that i was competitive and an athlete and you know all of the values and the good things that i got out of the sport i just wasn't willing to give that up when i could articulate who i who i am and had to tell other people and so while i didn't see policies i didn't see a pathway for myself I also sort of thought like what's the worst that can happen if if I think that I'm going to lose my ability to participate in sport by being my authentic self already then what's the worst that can happen for me to try you know to to try to to try to make this path to try to have access for myself and I think in doing that I was able to not only get policies created get policies changed you know change the Olympic policy in t- in 2016 All of those things happen just because I thought, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Like, So so they say no. Well, then I'll try again or I'll try a different way because I thought that there was no reason that I should have to compromise or like give up part of myself. So many trans athletes transition after their sporting career is over because they're afraid to lose their sport. And, you know, and or they're driven out of sport at a young age because sport is not a very friendly and welcoming place for people like me. And so I think, you know, just having that vision of being like, well, there's a real opportunity, like who, who do I wish that I would have seen when I was a young person? And I can now set out to be that person for for the younger version of myself and for every kid who needs to see that today. I think
0: it's so important you talk about kids seeing that because... I think it depends on where you grow up what your community's like what the support system is around you to allow you to be who you are I mean for example one of my friends children gender identity was born as a male but mm-hmm. she's exploring her identity and being supported by I know her mm-hmm. parents and the school and the community mm-hmm. and I remember sitting on the train speaking to a father about it and just thinking This is actually really amazing because how many adults don't get the opportunity to express themselves and be themselves as kids and then carry it through in their adult lives? Mm -hmm. And it just has such a negative impact and have to shrink themselves to to fit other people's expectations uh, just because they didn't have that support system and they weren't allowed to be who they truly were. And I bring that point up because the work that you're doing to support youth is just so
1: important. And can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I think I was very fortunate to in many ways just be allowed to be myself. But I also indirectly heard a lot of these messages when I was a kid that, you know, little girls don't do this, they don't do that. You're not allowed to be competitive. You're not allowed to be aggressive. You're not allowed to be too good at sports. You can't dress a certain way or like certain things. And I was always really confused by that, even though I didn't know I was trans at the time, I was just really confused by that because I was like, well, you're telling me I'm a little girl and I like the skateboard. So I guess little girls do skateboard. You <laughs> know but the coaches and adults in my life kind of gave me these messages that that what i was doing was wrong and so i just you know i'll never forget that feeling of feeling like i was such a confident young kid i knew exactly what i liked and what i wanted to do but i was told that it was not you know, the way that i should be and so i had that sort of confidence shaken out of me and You know, I know young kids should have to feel like they don't have the opportunity to exist or that there's not a space for them in this world. And, you know, we know that the statistics about parental support or support from teachers and schools of of trans and non-binary kids is so profound, like by a parent not accepting their transgender child doesn't make them not trans it just makes them hate you. <laughs> it, it just makes them like you know resentful of their parents and, and, and in, in some cases it can have really deadly outcomes because you know if we aren't feeling supported or like there's a space for us in this world, then some people think why should I be in this world And so you know I always say I have a pinned tweet that says you know if your child tells you that you're transgender, you have two choices you can have a trans kid or you can have a dead kid and it really is that simple like like for so many of us the ability to live authentically is literally a matter of life and death and so i think that's why i feel so passionate about helping kids and and making space for them and letting them see a representation of themselves because you know like in a selfish way i just think about how that would have been awesome for me to have when i was a kid and and i don't want other people to be in that position where they have to feel so alone or so unwelcome or like there's no space that they can belong
0: i think what you said is so powerful because identity being seen is so important and you know if you're not seen, that like you said it can have really negative impacts you know in terms of like it can be a matter of life and death Mm -hmm. or you can leak out in other areas of people's life trying to overcompensate in other areas and it just spirals so i think yeah i think that's such an important thing to be aware of and you know that's why i'm really happy with my friend because i just think like yeah i think what you're doing is incredible i think you need to do that because <laughs> for the reasons you've just said yeah for the reasons you've just said and i just want to focus on the the idea of identity so it's crucial for the reasons we've, we've talked about and in the use of pronouns is used to clearly convey lgbt plus our all the allies to you know identify themselves and I'm just thinking, I mean, do you ever feel like in the work that you're doing in amplifying transgender voices, that people just see your identity, see you as Chris in a limited two dimensional way of just like pronouns or sports or the work that you're doing? And do you ever feel there's a part of your identity, a part of yourself beyond the areas mentioned that you would like to, you know, people to see more of?
1: Yeah, there's so much of that, right? Like, you know, the, the great thing about social media, which is actually where a lot of advocacy happens right now, is that I'm basically curating what I want people to see, right? So like, I can control my content to shape the narrative of how I'm perceived. And, you know, that sounds really kind of manipulative when I say it like that. But every person on social media does that, right? We You're looking at people's highlight reels, or you're looking at what they want you to know about them. And so I think that I have some power to sort of control that narrative about you know what I want people to see and what I think is important for them to know. And in a lot of ways, what I think is important for them to know is to, you know like for me to stay on message. Like I am a competitive athlete. I am still competing at a high level. I am representing my country. I am providing opportunities for every trans person who comes after me. I care deeply about young people. And about their ability to be their authentic selves and participate in sports. And I, you know, have tips for allies. And so like all of those things I think are really important for me to continue to pump out, you know in social media, and then obviously then media, you know, any news articles will reinforce that sort of narrative. And you know, to be honest, I was really upset about it when I first came out, and every article was like, transgender man chris mosher blah 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 i was like why do you have to lead with transgender like i'm an athlete right i'm i made team usa i'm an athlete i'm i'm another competitor The sport should be this place where i can just show up and be another person competing but i pretty quickly shook out of that because i realized the value in that representation piece in that visibility piece that we've talked about so you know now I'm okay with like I want every article to say it. I want every article to mention it because I think that we need more we need more voices, we need more stories, we need more integration into the rest of sports. And so you know I, I don't want my story just to be told at Trans Day of Visibility or during Pride Month. You know, I want to be on your podcast in the middle of February, <laughs> you yeah, know and, and like and, and and not have it be attached to some special day, but just because I'm an, another runner. And that's really what I think is valuable about that uh and and making sure that people you know do see me as the go to person for those areas that you mentioned but do you
0: ever want people to see you in other areas? when I say like for example, I want to be like facetious here like for example, I can juggle it's the most pointless skill, but you know <laughs> I, that's probably not the best example, but you know like a different part of like who you are you know because what you're doing is important and it's needed and also your day job do you know what I mean it is it, a huge part of who you are By that I mean we are complex people it's like sometimes like for me I don't always want to be known as the runner guy you know or, or that guy do you know what I mean like there's other bits of me like father you know
1: uh-huh.
0: do you, know, you see what I'm saying like, I think there's so many aspects yeah, yeah. of as identity rather than because it can become a prison almost do you know what I mean because
1: mm-hmm.
0: what you're doing is, is important but do you know what I mean
1: yeah, I, I absolutely know what you mean. And I and again, I think I can curate that. Like you, you know, you tune into my Instagram and you'll see my bunnies and you'll see the occasional picture of uh me and my partner, right? And you'll see some of these moments like I recently bought a van and uh we we're gonna do van life and I drove the van across the country and had this great adventure. Like those moments, but also, you know, I i think social media is a tool it's not my entire life and and social media is the channel with which other people get this a- access to this information right i i can juggle <laughs> i i have fun with it right i have a kandama i think that's a fun game i like you know have i have bunnies who live with me and and those pieces can get peppered in there but really my friends know me right my my friends the people that i'm actually interacting with the people whose opinions i value and care about they're going to know that stuff about me. The people who are consuming me and using me on social media to get their information or, you know, that, because I very much feel like a tool and not like a, like, maybe that sounded weird, (laughs) like, not, not like a character. I feel like, I feel like I am here to deliver information and, you know, share my experience and elevate voices. and, And most of what I do on social media is my work. And so it's not just about, you know, like, absolutely, there's a human side to me. And there and I, I feel like I, I do a good job of sharing those disappointments and those vulnerable moments, because I think those are really important too. And at the same time, like, you don't get full access to me, because I don't know you, right? So like, not you specifically, but just general consumers of my content. Uh, because I get a lot of people who actually hate me. And I have people who want to see me dead. And I have, you know like people who stalk me on strava and and like all these things that i have to be extra especially you know attentive to that my other competitors and teammates don't have to think about and so i i am cautious about what i put out and i don't feel bad about it <laughs> like like again if, if, you, if you have access to me then you have access to that information and if you assume that i am you know just a you know a propaganda machine for trans inclusion and that's fine too because that's i'm 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 fine with that legacy as well
0: <laughs> yeah i mean thank you for sharing that and i think one of the things that sort of stuck out to me is especially with the, the profile you've got i think it's in generally i think it's so important to protect your circle like you said like the people that you trust around you your family those in your close circle they're mm-hmm. the ones that get access to the tree and i think that's so important because if you're everything to everyone then you've got everything to lose when people start sniping at you, you know, I mean, you, you just don't know where you stand. And I think it's so important to know where you position and, and where to speak and
1: where to hold back. Yeah, I think, you know, one thing that I really value is that I am, I don't put on a separate persona for social media. I am me, you know, I'm just a, a more curated version of me. But I think, you know, when people meet me in real life, I I am often told, oh, you're just like, your Instagram. Like, I, I feel like I know you because I follow you. It's not like a, a shock to the system to meet me in real life to say, oh, I, you are totally different. Or, you know, hey, your photos are very filtered. You look totally different. Like, no, I'm just me. And this is what it is. Um, so people have that access, but also, you know, like you said, there's that protection
0: yeah like you've been catfished they'll be like why have you got an Irish accent oh, well, I, <laughs> I <laughs>
1: rec- recently had somebody I had somebody who said that they thought I had an Australian accent and, that, and like I talked in my story and they were like I don't know why I thought that you had an accent for a very long time I thought that was pretty funny
0: they're sitting there thinking at some point he's going to break he's, the, the Aussie actor's going to come through and I knew it he was an Aussie <laughs> but that, that's just life you can't control that <laughs> And I was still sort of thinking, this is like a almost like a really curious question. So apologies for the kind of the base level, but sometimes you've got to ask these base level questions just to get an idea. So in the recent version of like Black Lives Matter, one area that was discussed was the idea of white privilege. Mm-hmm. So in your experience, can you share how people with like absolutely no knowledge of who you are from your social profile or you know or, or knew what the correct pronoun was? or, you know, how they treated you differently based on just purely like visual assumptions on gender. So from the perspective of looking at you, people see you as a white woman to now is just looking at you without knowing you as a white man.
1: Yeah, I'm so glad you asked this. I mean, I think this is an, an area that has been touched on, but not really deeply explored in, in my conversations that it was so shocking to me that, uh, okay, so as a white person, I think I grew up with with a general lack of awareness about white privilege. Like when I was in school, people weren't talking about white privilege, and I don't think it was conversations that were being had in my family or in my community at that time you know, of growing up. I mean I'm grateful that it's part of the conversation now because it's so incredibly important to acknowledge and understand you know how it plays into the systems that are in place from sport to the rest of the world. When I transitioned, I knew everything that I mostly everything that was going to happen in terms of I started taking testosterone, so I knew sort of the expected changes that might happen with my body. and, and people had taught, you know people online had mentioned how it affected them mentally, and so you know in terms of range of emotions and and how they were feeling. and I knew sort of the potential for my coming out process, and that all of these things I knew about, but I didn't know how differently people would treat me based on those two things right of of like of both gender so like being seen and perceived as a woman before but more as an androgynous woman which made me pretty pretty much you know tried to be invisible you know I've, i never really identified as a woman but i didn't know that i could identify as anything else and i was constantly trying to stay out of conversation and public view because for most of my life people were like are you a guy or a girl you know or like you're not really a woman like in sports and you know people calling attention to my gender when I was not in control of that conversation nor did I have the words to explain myself was really really uncomfortable for me so I was trying to be an invisible woman and then became a very visible you know public advocate as a man and you know, there's this difference in terms of how I am treated in sports. There's this difference in terms of how I'm treated even socially. So like I would go out to lunch with my boss, who is an incredible woman and she would pay and the credit card would come back to me with the check. You know, like people assume that I was paying because I was the man at the table. And there are these, all of these little sexist things that would happen. And then, you know, racially, I think I never, I didn't put that piece into my equation until I became a man because as a as a white masculine woman trying to be invisible I didn't put myself in situations to have those conversations but I was very aware when I became perceived as a straight white man the amount of privilege that I had just inherited and and the way that if I walked into a bodega in New York City with a friend who was black that I would get addressed first before them or like you know, situations like that with my running groups of how people would treat me versus how they treat my friends. And much of that was racially motivated. And, you know, I think I'm I'm in a position now where I constantly am grappling with the fact that I will be an old white man someday. And old white men cause so much damage (laughs) and harm (laughs) to so many other communities. And I don't want to be a part of that legacy. I want my legacy to be one that changes that narrative that that uh, I don't have to play into that, you know, being an old white man doesn't give me the privilege to stomp on other people. It, it actually gives me the responsibility to do better and to be a better ally for other communities. And so it, it's something that I think about all of the time. And it's been really great to have more conversation and awareness within the last year as Black Lives Matter, you know, has become more a part of the conversation and 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 people have been reading the books and doing the work, some people, but, you know, these conversations have been popping up more and more. And I think it's so critical in terms of all of these intersections, right? I'm, I'm, I'm white and I'm a man and I'm trans and in sport, my experience is very different than a black trans woman. And I can detail the ways in which I've seen my experience happen. And an athlete like Cece Telfer, who's a, a black trans woman runner, who's, you know, discriminated against constantly and so you know i think that there's so much to unpack there and i'm, I'm grateful that you asked the question because i think it is just a, such an interesting piece of my story and experience that not a lot of people have right to like to see how people are treated from from both sides of an issue
0: yeah and i think just it's human nature we know sometimes doing the right thing we just don't do it because we kind of fall into these these patterns and I'm not justifying it. And sometimes people don't have the experience in being in someone else's shoes. It's like that uh film, what was it, with Scrooge? I can't remember it's like the the Christmas one when he goes back and he can see <laughs> things through other people's perspectives and he comes back and like Oh my gosh, I've got to help you all out. But most people don't have that experience. They're just like, ah, it doesn't affect me, so it
1: is what it is. Yeah, I think in in transitioning, I definitely became a stronger advocate for women in sports you know, like having lived that experience of being a girl on the basketball team and seeing that, you know, the in high school that they would talk about the boys game and, and you know, on the loudspeaker and, and then be like, also the girls are playing. Like, you know, is this an afterthought? Like the, we got the hand-me-down equipment and the um, bad practice times and, you know, it's just not a priority for schools. And having that experience and living it, you know, I I knew it was messed up, but I didn't really see it until I was treated differently. And I think it gave me a really strong perspective to say that there are so many incredible challenges and problems with the way that we treat women in sports. There are a lot of threats to women in sports. And I can also say that transgender teammates are not one of those threats. And, you know, I think having that perspective of saying there are a lot of problems, like, you know, Aside from lack of equity, uh, lack of equal pay and opportunities, and good equipment and practice times, and and you know, coaching opportunities and seeing yourselves in sports, you know, all of those things are are real challenges that I've become deeply aware of in not having to face them as much anymore. Yeah. Um, but you know, having a trans person on your team is not would not make the top ten. Uh, threats to women's sports and so I think it's a really interesting position yeah that point of conversation
0: could be a podcast in itself mm-hmm. I think the avenues could go down and it's something I'd love to you know hear about it but I'm mindful of time so I just want to move to the, the final part of the conversation yeah if you could give your younger self one piece of advice what would you say to yourself
1: I would say never limit your own greatness to make other people feel more comfortable I think it's something I've, I've thought about for a long time and it's actually the advice that I give to young trans athletes I meet now who are sometimes, you know, suppressing themselves or holding back or, um, you know, trying to make themselves small to fit in. And, you know, I think we each, you don't have to be transgender to understand this, that, that we each have our own, you know, abilities and gifts and greatness that we can bring to the world. And a lot of times we're, driven to the sort of middle, the average, the uh, mundane, we don't want to create waves, we don't want to rock the boat. And I think that it's important that we are all in a position where we can fully express who we are, because we all have a deep desire to feel like we belong. And, but that's very different than that, that even deeper desire that we have to fully be able to express ourselves. And I think a lot of that is suppressed by fear and um, anxiety around drawing attention to ourselves or, or being thought of as different. But really, it's our differences that make us great. It's our differences that make this world an amazing place to be because there are so many different types of people and so many gifts. And you know, I want everybody to own the power of their identity and to share those gifts with the world. Yeah,
0: and see the beauty in it because I think it's so easy to... Grow up seeing it the other way is it being a disadvantage, something that you should hide from? And yeah, I think those are some great points. And with all the work that you're doing, I always feel like there's a lot almost taken from you. But when you're kind of looking at your core, I mean, what makes you feel the most empowered?
1: Hmm. Yeah, I would say <laughs> my my impulse there was to say being in control makes me feel empowered. Because there are so many parts of my existence that I feel like I couldn't control for a long time, and like even right now with the government, you know, yesterday and sorry to date this podcast, but uh, in the United States they're arguing about whether or not LGBTQ plus people deserve equal protections from the federal government. We don't have that here, and you know we're we're seeing lawmakers say that people like me don't deserve to be protected at the workplace. People like me don't deserve equal access to healthcare, um, that, that doctors and lawmakers can discriminate against me based on their religious beliefs to say like, I don't deserve to be saved. And so, you know, when I see that, I feel so out of control. And I think what really makes me feel empowered is taking control of my own narrative, taking control of my schedule, taking control of my life and, doing what I know is right and what I know will be right for other people and so you know having that ability to to help create pathways and opportunities for other trans and non-binary athletes and to let people see themselves that's what really makes me feel empowered
0: creating opportunities basically and just rather than not to say rather than focusing on what you can't control but just making those things happen. And that creates mm-hmm. the energy, the, the connecting energy to make you feel empowered. I think that's such a, a great way to to look at it. And I'm definitely going to take that on board, especially with the stuff that I'm doing with my co-founders as well. I think that's, that's amazing advice. Chris, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Where can people follow your journey online?
1: Yeah, please follow me on Instagram and Twitter at the chris mosier and thechrismosier.com as well as transathlete.com. That's the website that I created to track trans-inclusive policies at various levels of play. For all your U.S. listeners, we have a lot going on in terms of fighting against bad legislation in the United States. So uh, there's a page in which you can take action to fight so that all people have opportunity to get the joys that we all as listeners have uh, received from participating in sports. So Mosier and TransAthlete.com.
0: Fantastic. Chris, thank you for being a guest on the Runner's Life podcast. It's been a pleasure talking
1: to you. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of A Runner's Life. If you found value in this episode and you want to support the show, please share with your community, post on your social media channels, and encourage them to listen and subscribe. If you want to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash a runner's life if you want to get updates on the podcast or you want to see what i'm up to you can follow me on instagram at a runner's life underscore podcast and at the marathon Marcus. your time is valuable so thank you for spending your time listening to this episode of a runner's life podcast